the, the psalmist is calling the folks to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done for them. He's called them back, gathered them, it says, from all the lands, from all directions. What had happened, if you're just joining us, we're in the third of four weeks on this particular psalm. What had happened was the Israelites had disobeyed God for years and years and years. And he had kept telling them through the prophets, I send somebody else to tell you, if you don't turn around, then, then I'm going, I'm going to discipline you. It's essentially, you ever been like a parent? It was almost as if God's using the counting method. One, two, three. Okay, that's enough. And that's kind of how God got to the point. He was very patient. He was very loving. But he got to the point where he said, that's it. And the last thing that he took from the Israelites was their land. And if you know anything about the promise that was made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, it was the promise that the Israelites went back to over and over and over. And that was, we're going to have a piece of land to call our own, to call home. And so toward the latter part of the Old Testament history story, they are exiled. They're sent away from their land. And that's the story in Daniel, where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all, they're all exiled, along with all the Israelites, to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is a story that happened, or this is reflecting after God had brought them back. He had been faithful. He had loved them. And so then it goes on. There's different sections here of this psalm, and it goes on to tell us about the different kinds of people. Look at verse 4 real quick. Some wandered in desolate wilderness. We talked about that two weeks ago. What's it like to wander around in the wilderness? Look at verse 10. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains. And then today, we're going to look at the third section of this. It begins in verse 17. And it begins in the version that I'm reading with the word fools. Look at it. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their sins. Now, it's not hard to define the word fool. Literally, that word in the Bible means idiot. Literally what it means. A fool is somebody who is either by their very nature or by their actions acting as an idiot. Now, that's kind of insulting, but that's exactly what it's saying there. Fools, idiots, <laughs> suffered affliction. They suffered some harm, some trouble. Of course, the Bible tells us over and over, and especially if you read Proverbs, there's, there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are wise people and there are foolish people. The wise people become wise by walking with, living with, growing with, learning from other wise people who are also doing wise things, and the foundation of that is living according to God's word. And so the opposite of that is to be foolish, and that is not to live according to God's word. So that's what he's talking about. They suffered some affliction. It's not a word we use much anymore today. It's kind of an official term or whatever, but that just means trouble of some kind. They've got some something going on, some difficulty. And in this case, it says they suffered affliction. Why? Because of their rebellious ways and their sin. So they brought this on themselves. The Bible talks a lot about this contrast of foolishness and wisdom. And in fact, I, I looked up uh, in, in the exhaustive concordance. I got every reference that I could find about fools in the Bible. And I, I focused in most on Proverbs. There are in the Bible, there are o over 350 references to, to wise versus foolish. In Proverbs, that's where most of them are. And so I kind of narrowed this down to three general categories of fools in the Bible. All right, so a little bit of instruction here, and then we're going to move through this, and I'll give you some, some action points, and we'll get out of here. Three different kinds of fools in the Bible. First of all, and these will be on your, on your handout there. First of all, there are the independent kind of fools. 
I'm going to reference several different scriptures. If you want to write them down, fine. They're not going to be on the screen. They're not on the handout. But it's, it's interesting when you begin to look at them. There are the independent kind of fools. They're independent of God's word. They, this is the rebellious. They, they, they suffered affliction. Why? Because of their rebellion. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, it says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever know anybody like that? Don't tell me what to do. Who are you? I'm not going to listen to you. Maybe, maybe it's been a, a child living in your home. Maybe it's been, if you've ever been a teacher of any kind, whether at church or somewhere else or in the school system, they, they despise wisdom and understanding and instruction. They're not going to listen to anybody. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22 says that fools hate knowledge. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. 14, verse 9 says that fools mock at sin. They laugh at it. No big deal. Proverbs 15, 5 says that fools reject their father's discipline. Now, young people, listen to me for just a second. I used to be a young person. I still consider myself sort of young, and then I lost all my hair, and that was kind of, that was it. So I don't look nearly as young as maybe I like to feel. But if your parents are imposing discipline, I'm not talking even about physical punishment. I'm talking about here's the way that we're going to do things in our home and in our lives. If you are rejecting that discipline, let me, can I put this to you very, very gently? You're a fool. It wasn't so gently, was it? The Bible says that fools reject their father's discipline. Listen to me. I don't want to call you out. I'm not going to name any names. But if that's you, then you are acting very, very foolishly. Not only are you out from under the authority of your parents, but guess whose authority you're also challenging in question? God's himself. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Fools view sin as sport. They love it. It's something they just relish. They're just going to do whatever they want to do. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says a fool's way is right in his own eyes. Guess who he answers to? Himself. You see the independent nature here of, of, of the fool? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16, it says that fools are arrogant. They, they are stuck on themselves. They will listen to no one. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, it says they're argumentative. <laughs> they just like to argue all the time. In Proverbs 28, verse 26, it says that a fool trusts in his own heart. They are their only guide. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 give you two different opposite. Uh, it's interesting. It says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then it says, answer a fool according to his folly. Do you know what that means? Fools are hard to talk to. You don't know how to, how to approach them. What should I do here? You ever known anybody like that? I, I, I don't, listen, I don't even know what to say to you. I have no, what's what, what's going to get through to you? Should I talk to you? Should I not talk to you? Should I be harsh with you? Should I be gentle with you? Psalm, there's, there's one in, in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says that fools believe there is no God. They operate completely independent. There's also the indifferent kind of fool. I don't know if the audience that I'm speaking to this morning would, would consider ourselves to be the independent kind of foolish behavior people. Look, I, I mean, I know there's a God and, I, and I've yielded my life to him and I, you know, I'm, I'm cool with all that. I wonder if we might be sometimes more in this particular category, the, the indifferent kind of fool. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 32 says that fools are wayward and complacent. And they just kind of, eh, whatever. 
just going through life. Eh, no big deal. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, it says that fools just babble on and on and on. They're indifferent to anybody else. They're just talking. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 6 of Proverbs says that fools are careless and excessive. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says a fool only delights in sharing his own opinions, indifferent to anybody else. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says a fool gives an answer before actually listening. And in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, I've told you this story before when I was in college. My first two years playing at Murray State, my freshman and sophomore years playing baseball there, I was ejected from three different games. It was bad. It was really bad. I really only deserved one of them. I, well, no, probably two. One of them I really didn't deserve. I was sitting on, well, that's a different story. Anyway, I deserved two of them, okay? So two out of three. I'll give you two out of three. <clears throat> I got a letter from my dad right before my junior season was to start. My dad is a man of few words. Some of you have met my dad when he's been here. He doesn't say much. So when he says something, you kind of listen up. So I'm thinking, oh, man, great. I got a letter from Dad. It's going to be some inspiration for the season. That was just a little note. It was like about this big. And it said, let this verse be your guide this season. Proverbs 29, 11. Like, all oh, right, you know. You know what Proverbs 29, 11 says? A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man keeps it under control. Like, Dad, really? <laughs> That's all he said to me. The whole, I mean, it's like, come on. But I was acting foolishly because I'd lost my temper. And he knew it, and he needed a way to try to tell me without just putting it to me. He used God. He played the God card. I'm like, come on, Dad, you're killing me. But I was indifferent. My temper, I was like, man, it's not bothering anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody but me. Do you see the indifference there? We're just whatever. It doesn't matter. Maybe we operate with some general indifference toward God, indifference toward His Word, maybe just sort of a token Christianity, a cafeteria-style Christianity. I'll just pick and choose what parts of this faith that I like. So maybe some of us are dealing with the independent kind of foolishness or maybe indifferent kind of foolishness. And there's a third kind of foolishness in the Bible, and that's ignorant foolishness. Maybe this is the person who just doesn't know what wisdom is or what foolishness actually does, and largely they're ignorant of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7 says that fools are naive. They lack sense. They don't know any better. Proverbs 8, verse 5 says that fools ignore the call of wisdom. They're not listening. Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We're born with it. I was at an event the other night, and it was an event that lots of people attended, and one that you really wanted to pay attention to what was going on on the stage. And a row in front, and about five seats down, was a set of parents with a young child that was absolutely out of control. We've all been there with our own children, and so we can all relate. We all understand that. So this doesn't come from a perfect parent standpoint. But do you know what the parents did? This. They just shook their head and shrugged. I leaned over to Hank, who was sitting next to me, who's now 10 years old. You remember the conversation we had there. I said, Hank, 
You see that? I said, this may offend some of you. I said, that's why I spanked your bottom when you were a kid. (laughs) I said, you need to understand that there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. I don't know how it is that you impose discipline on your children, but they need it. They need it. They're desperate for it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You ever seen a grown-up child? That little boy one day is going to grow up. And he's going to be a grown-up little kid. Why? Because nobody ever helped him to understand discipline. Again, I don't know how, parents, how it is that you need to help your children do that. But give them discipline. They're desperate for it. If not, they're going to grow up and be ignorant. And they'll be fools nonetheless. The results of foolishness, as you see in Proverbs, are devastating. In, in Psalm chapter 107, it says, fools suffered affliction. Let me, read, let me read you a few of these references. Here are some of the results of foolishness in Proverbs. Proverbs 17.25 says that fools are grief to their parents. They bring grief to their parents. They make parents' lives miserable. Proverbs 18 verse 7 says that the mouth of a fool brings ruin. Remember how I said they babble, they just keep talking? You ever known somebody that doesn't know when to just shut it? Bring ruin. Proverbs 11.29 says that fools will eventually serve the wise. They don't get what they're looking for. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says that the companion of fools suffers harm. Not only does this fool hurt himself, but it's not isolated. It hurts everybody. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 3 says that the fool has a rod for his back in his mouth. You know what that means? That the words come back to swat him, basically. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 20 says the fool despises his parents. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3 says that the fool subverts his own way. He ruins it for himself. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 1 says that a fool tears down his own house. doesn't even make sense what they do. And Proverbs 29 verse 9 says there's always drama around these folks. I don't know if you find yourself in constant, constant drama... But it might be because you're either acting foolishly or associating with those who are. And so obviously I say all that because I want to highlight the different kinds of foolishness and show you that always the result of foolishness is exactly what Psalm 107 says, and that is it brings affliction. That word affliction there is also throughout the Bible. And there are generally three categories that we see in Scripture that people suffer this kind of affliction. All right, There are three different things here. So three different types of foolishness, three different types of affliction. The first can be physical. There's a physical harm, a physical pain, suffering, sickness, death, weakness, whatever it may be that comes with acting foolishly. Psalm 107 verse 18, if you look at it, Psalm 107 verse 18 says it this way. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Do you know what that means? They literally were close to dying. Why? Because of the stupid things they had done. Now, I don't know if as we as grown-ups do as many stupid things that put us in harm's way as we once did when we were younger. Maybe if you're a guy, you continue to do some things like that. I don't know. But, but there are times when we put ourselves in harm's way because of the silly and stupid and foolish things that we do. There are scriptural examples. In Acts chapter 5, you have the example of a couple who lied to God about the money they were bringing to the temple, to the, to, uh, to the church rather, and God struck them dead. 
Because they lived foolishly, they literally died. There can be physical things that come because we've acted foolishly. Now, hear me out on this. Not everything that you experience physically is because of some sin in your life. Don't buy that lie for a second. Don't buy that. That's not what I'm saying. And anybody would tell you, well, if you just had enough faith and you'd be healed, doesn't understand the Scripture. Jesus had more faith than anybody has ever had, and guess what? He died. Don't believe the lie that just because you have something wrong with you, well, I must have sinned in some way. No, that's not always the case. But there are times when physically we experience something because of the unwise decisions we've made. In a few weeks, you're going to have Thanksgiving, and then you're going to have Christmas. You will enter a food coma soon after you eat way more than you should. All right? That's just the way it goes. At least I always do. You see the results. There are also emotional kinds of affliction. It says here in in Psalm 107, verse 18, they loathed all food. Guess what? They couldn't eat. They didn't feel like eating. They were emotionally worn out. Do you realize that sometimes the foolish decisions we make bring depression and sorrow and regret and sadness and even misery? They loathed all food. In the New Testament, there's a little story when Simon Peter, one of the apostles, denied that he knew Jesus. And he did it three times. Do you know the the very last sentence in that little episode? What does it say? He went out and he did what? He wept bitterly. If you're a believer in Jesus, you cannot live apart from God's will, apart from His Word. You cannot live as a foolish person and not be emotionally affected by it. It will happen. Sometimes in our lives as believers, not always, But sometimes our depression, our lowness, all of those things can be a direct result of something in our lives that we're doing that's foolish. And God's Spirit is saying, this is not right. And we experience emotional difficulty, emotional affliction. There's also spiritual affliction. If it goes on here, it says in verse 19, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Ultimately, I knew he was there, but he was out there a minute ago, and you guys were looking at him, and I thought, hey, he stays out there. Goes, He's been in here for like three weeks. I don't, somebody said, that, what's he eating? I, don't, I have no idea. The ladybugs, I, I guess, I don't know, but seriously. Uh, there you go. You can only get away with this in a small church, by the way. You know, it's a, I love it. I love it. There, there's spiritual affliction. It says they called out, they cried out to the Lord in their distress, in their trouble. They knew ultimately that what they were dealing with at, at its core was going to be a spiritual issue. There had to be a spiritual solution to what's going on. Now they might have, if they were physically uh, afflicted, if they were emotionally afflicted, they may have sought that kind of professional help. But what did they do ultimately? They started to pray. They understood this was an issue. David, in Psalm chapter 51, after he committed sin with Bathsheba, he cried out to the Lord and he said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He understood that there had been spiritual consequences for his foolish and sinful behavior, and he cried out to the Lord. Verse 19 of Psalm 107, They cried out to the Lord in their distress. There are several reasons for this kind of affliction. I've mentioned some of them. David dealt with, with affliction that was disciplined for them, from the Lord. He committed the sin, and the Lord said, no, you're not going to do that. You will experience discipline. There's some kind of, of, of affliction that's for sanctification, for making us more like Jesus. Paul, in Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, 
It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about, or chapter 9 rather, he talks about the thorn in his flesh that God had given him really to torment him essentially, but to make him dependent on the Lord. There's sanctification that comes, there's growth with Jesus that comes with affliction. Job, in the, in the book of Job, experienced affliction. You know what? He didn't know why. You know what answer he never got? Why? Do you know why he experienced affliction? For God's glory. I can't explain all that. I don't have full answers for all of that, but sometimes we experience things for God's glory. So it's not always that we need to look and say, I'm having a tough time in my life. I must have done something wrong. No, not always, but sometimes that's true, isn't it? What do you do then when you realize that you've been living your life, even as a Christian, independent from God's Word, when you've been living it indifferent to God's Word, when you've been living it ignorant of God's Word? Look in verse 19 at what they did. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. What would you expect God to do? Well, look, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. I mean, I, you know, I, I, get, I counted to three for crying out loud. I gave you plenty of time to turn around. I told you this was going to be the case. Now, what does he do? He saved them from their distress. I don't know what your view of God is, what your theology is. If you believe you must do a lot of really good things to make up for all the bad things, and then you present both of those to God and say, Lord, I hope that the good has outweighed the bad because I know I've done some bad things, but God, here's what I did to make up for it all. Is that okay? We do that, don't we? What did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he didn't say, okay, show me show me the bad. Whew, boy. Okay, show me the good. Well, Okay, I need you to do a little bit more good, and then that will outweigh the bad. What did God do? He saved them from their distress. They could not outweigh the bad with the good, and so God did for them what they could never do for themselves. Verse 20, it goes on. It says, He sent His Word, and He healed them. He rescued them from the pit. He sent His Word. He spoke healing into their lives. Somehow the Word of God was sent to them, whether He spoke it or whether they read some Scripture that helped them get out of where they were, and He picked them up from the pit. Verse 21, Let them give thanks. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce His works with shouts of of joy. It says, let them give thanks. You've been picked up. You made it out. You made an error. You struck out and you said, God, I need you to pick me up. And immediately he says, that's what I'm doing. Let them give thanks. It was God who had made them right. The sacrifice here that it's talking about, the Thanksgiving offering was part of the peace offering. And essentially it was done in celebration of the peace that God had made with them. They had been forgiven. They had been restored. They'd been redeemed. They'd been picked up out of the pit. And so as a result, they just celebrated. They just give an offering to the Lord. They, they just make a sacrifice. It wasn't to atone for their sin. It was to celebrate that their sin had been forgiven. And so maybe today you look at your life and say, Lord, I've been living independent. I've been living indifferent. I've been living ignorantly, and I'm suffering affliction because of it. I've got some trouble in my life. Lord, I'm going to call out to you. And then what do we do? We simply give thanks. And we know we don't have to go around offering literal sacrifices. We don't have to bring our animals and our crops and slaughter them and burn them at the church. That's not what it's talking about that we have to do in today's world because we know that Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice. He's it. But John's Gospel tells us that Jesus was the living Word of God. God sent His Word and healed them. He sent Jesus to heal us, and so this still applies to us. They, in response to God's word coming to them to heal them, they gave offerings, they gave thanksgiving sacrifices. 
we as a result of God's word coming to us in Jesus ought to be joining them in a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We're not going to have a bonfire just so you know to bring your animals and so on. That's not what we're going to do. But Paul wrote in chapter 12 of Romans that we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. If there were, if the word of God was what brought them healing, if it was their independence from and their indifference toward and their ignorance of God's word that caused them the problem in the first place, then I would imagine that part of their thanksgiving offering, their living sacrifice, and what ought to be part of our living sacrifice as a result of what God has done in our lives, would be to refocus ourselves on the very word of God. I want to close with this this morning. I'm going to give you a couple action points and then, and then I'll close. I'm a firm believer that many of the problems we experience as Christians, many of the issues that we have, the trouble that we face, whether it be physically, emotionally, and mostly spiritually, of course, can in some cases be traced back to our indifference, our independence, and our ignorance of God's Word. And since it was God's Word that was sent to them to heal them, I would imagine that in your life, if you find yourself in the pit today, what's going to pick you up is going to be God's Word. And so this morning, let me invite you to do one thing, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of bonus material right at the end. God has provided the means for you to be forgiven and completely set free. And in response to that, how do you thank God for picking you up out of the pit? A simple phrase would be to put down your shovel and then start digging into God's Word. Some of us are in the pit this morning because we dug the hole. You know what the smartest thing to do is when you find yourself in a hole? Stop digging. <laughs> Some this morning, listen, I, I know we're bound up by habits and we just keep digging and digging and digging. And they're foolish, they're ungodly, they're unwise, they're not helping us. We know what it's doing to us and we hate it. We hate it. Put down the shovel. Stop digging that hole. Is it independence from God and His Word? Then put down that shovel of independence. Is it indifference? Then put down the shovel of, in, of indifference. Is it ignorance? Put down the shovel of ignorance. And then what? And then dig into God's Word. He sent His Word and He healed them. That's going to be our healing from the